0: PyTest is awesome by itself. PyTest Plus Plugins is even better. In this episode, Anthony Sotilli and I discuss the top PyTest plugins according to download counts. It's a lot of fun, and you will I know you'll learn a lot. I know I did. Thank you, OxyLabs, for sponsoring this episode. OxyLabs, a top provider of innovative services including real-time crawler, web scraper, and residential and data center proxies. Trusted by more than 500 companies. Find out what they can do for you at oxylabs.io slash test Welcome to Test and Code, a podcast about software development, software testing, and Python. Today on Testing Code, we're going to do something fun. And I have Anthony Satilli, you've been on before. Thank you for coming on again. And I had this crazy idea to just kind of talk about PyTest plugins. Well, first of all, welcome, Anthony. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here.
0: Um, PyTest plugins are definitely a, one of the cool parts of PyTest. There's other tools that have plugin capabilities like Coverage and Flake 8 That that I think the uh plugin ability makes them even more popular and i think that's definitely the case with pytest as well it would be powerful without it but it's very powerful with it mm-hmm. i know how to write plugins i'm not sure where if plugin do you know if plugins were just part of pytest from the beginning or
1: mm, that that all predates me a little bit but as long as i've been with the project yeah Py, uh, pytest plugins have been a big part of how pytest works
0: some of the plugins i almost i forget are really separate that you have to download and because um, some of the functionality of pytest that, that I think of as built in really are, they're built by plugins. So um, pytest ships with a bunch of plugins already, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, internally pytest actually implements a lot of its functionality by uh, internal plugins,
0: like the 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 nose stuff. Um, it, it can run un, uh, unit tests and nose, and both of those are written as plugins, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, as well cool. as
1: like the logging and warning stuff. That stuff is all done by plugins.
0: So I can't remember I think I went through a couple of hoops to get this but there's um uh there's PyPI stats and then there's something else I think that I grabbed this from but um I I just grabbed search for pytest on the I think I took the top 4000 uh PyPI downloads of the last year um and then searched for just pytest in there to try to find the plugins because usually if people are nice, they'll name their plugin either Pytest Dash something, or something Dash Pytest. Um, I don't think that's a rule, but uh, it'd be weird to not because how would people find it?
1: Yeah, hopefully we're not missing any because of that. But yeah, I assume we'll get
0: most of them. And I know that download counts aren't um, aren't the only thing, but after looking at this, I think actually like the top twenty or fifty are a fairly decent representation. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, so I think we should just stop jump in. I don't know how many we're gonna get through. We're just going to start doing about doing it until we either run out of time or either Anthony or I get bored with it. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, bored already. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I'm I'm sorry now. <laughs> uh, why don't I just introduce the first one? Uh, it's pytest dash cov, which is the is a plugin to help you run coverage. What do you think of this one?
1: Yeah, I actually think this plugin is is very good for bridging coverage and PyTest, which are two tools that, you know, they're almost born for each other, like coverage and testing. Um, I myself, I tend not to use this plugin all that often because you can get away with just vanilla coverage. But, you know, if you want one command that does everything, PyTestCov is the way to do it.
0: One of the recommendations from coverage, or at least it was for a while, was you want to be able to capture... Even the startup of every of something, mm-hmm. and so using a, a pytest plugin might get it so that you like miss some of the initialization of your test stuff. But the pytest cov plugin has real fairly worked fairly hard to avoid that. So I don't think this this plugin has that problem. The other bit that um all the flags whether or not the flags keep up. So the pytest dash cov if there's some of the flags that you want to use from coverage that aren't supported by pytest-cov there's that issue mm-hmm. um, so the other thing i uh, is a lot of if you're running if you're mostly running your coverage from talks, this plugin really doesn't buy you much you can just run so it's either pytest runs coverage or coverage runs pytest right
1: yep pretty much
0: yeah okay
1: interestingly there's some work that I believe is in progress, but is probably, you know, closer to done than it was before to actually merge a PyTest plugin directly into coverage. And then we wouldn't need this plugin anymore because coverage would just support it out of the box.
0: Oh, that'd be cool. But yeah. I,
1: I don't remember what the status of that is with the, I, I know Ned was starting to work on it, but I don't <laughs> I don't remember the status
0: of it. And then there was some talk about having, um um just trimming down the coverage so that it wouldn't really... Deal with a lot of the settings and flags or anything at all, um, and just run like some simple things. But I I don't know. I've tried to stay out of that discussion. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but
1: yeah, the cool thing about both approaches is like pytest-cov hooks into the process early enough that uh, both your test discovery and runtime will get uh, instrumented by coverage.
0: Yeah, if I'm using pytest-cov, I'll throw the command to as to where the source is and all those you have to pass in some flags i'll mm-hmm. throw that in the pytest any so i don't have to type it every time mm, true no, so anyway okay next up is uh py test timeout actually i would forgotten about this i i really need this right away <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah this one's pretty great i i use this one uh mostly at work with some tests that uh you know, are supposed to finish in a certain amount of time, but sometimes due to, you know, unknown circumstances may start running away or looping forever and uh we can't quite solve the halting problem. So this is a good plugin to put in place to just say like, you know, if a test is running for 60 seconds, uh it's probably never going to pass. We'll just kill it now and uh you know, mark it as a failure.
0: Yeah. I mean we have um so I have some long long running suites that we run over the weekend against a bunch of hardware and stuff. And we could even use this for like even big timeouts.
1: Yeah, and another thing that we use this for is like we have a 90 minute timeout for Jenkins at work and like you know, if something is just spinning and not using resources for 90 minutes, that's you know, 90 minutes of CPU time that we could be spending on some other project. And so this is a nice way to kind of you know, prevent those runaway
0: jobs. Oh yeah. Okay. What do we got next?
1: Next one we've got is pytest Xdist, which is uh, what I like to refer to as the easiest hammer to
0: make tests faster. The, the easiest hammer.
1: Uh, <laughs> so what XTIS does is it makes it really easy to take an existing PyTest suite and spread it across a number of processor cores. Okay. Uh, to kind of naively paralyze your test suite. Uh, there are some cases where this doesn't work all that well, like... Uh, I know, in particular, like the MyPy test suite doesn't deal well with XDIS due to having a very, very large number of very, very small tests. Um, but you know, for a for an average project, it seems to improve your performance out of the box.
0: Okay, there's a flag that you can pass in for having it just pick the number of CPUs and doing a decent job.
1: Yeah, I believe it's dash n auto.
0: Auto. Okay. Yeah, that's cool uh, because. I wouldn't know what to pick. <laughs>
1: Usually it tries to pick based on the number of CPU cores you have on your computer. Although I know that doesn't work all that well in like Travis CI and such. So there's special checks for like, you know, I'm on Travis CI. So there, there probably aren't actually 36 processors. We're going to pick a smaller number.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. But even um, it, it speeds stuff up, even if you've got, even if you just throw it on like four cores, um, it'll speed it up. Uh, Mm -hmm. one of the I did I was curious about it so yeah a lot of little small tests and if the if your suite's already pretty fast and you have a small number of like let's say if you've got four tests Mm -hmm. it it might not be really that much faster to split it up onto four because you're going to combine. there is some overhead in combining it right so
1: yeah it's probably actually going to be slower in that case
0: yeah so uh, def- like like any optimization, it's good to measure before and after to make sure you've actually made things better. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah, there's some other stuff that you have to look out for with Xdist because it is actually forking your interpreter and like you know, running it in some processes. And so sometimes tests you know, may have some global mutable state that doesn't really work all that well when you run them in parallel or run them in a different order. And so often you have to look out for that.
0: Thank you to Oxylabs for sponsoring this episode. Oxylabs is a top provider of innovative web data gathering services, such as real time crawler, web scraper, and residential and data center proxies. Oxylabs is now introducing their next generation residential proxies, which are a significantly improved data gathering solution. They provide a stable and fax proxy pool with more than 30 million global IP addresses, and they are resource efficient with the proxy management, user agents, and IP rotation all done on the Oxylabs side. Oxylabs has a deep understanding and knowledge of how to acquire web data, and they provide a dedicated account manager for every client. Already trusted by more than 500 companies, visit oxylabs.io slash testencode to find out more about their services and to apply for a free trial of their next-generation residential proxies. That's oxylabs.io slash testencode. Um, next is, uh, PyTest mock. Um, and I kind of like this one. It's a, it's a definitely a convenience one. Um, because, because mock, you can use it without a plugin. Um, you Mm -hmm. can use PyTest and mock together. Uh, but the cleanup is a little, you have to make sure you get the cleanup right. Uh, don't you? Um, I mean, what happens if you don't unmock uh, something? (laughs) <laughs>
1: well, that's uh, your classic case of test pollution when you've suddenly uh, changed how a global function works, and then you don't undo it at the end.
0: Yeah, um, and that and that'll happen, right? So if you, if you if you replace some functionality, it's um, uh, like a monkey patch, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, unfortunate that there is a monkey patch uh, fixture within pytest, which actually works pretty good, and I like it, but now I. I have to, when I want to say I'm monkey patching something. Does that mean monkey patching or using the monkey patch fixture?
1: Right. Yeah. The thing with pytest mock is it's slightly more powerful than the monkey patch fixture, and so often you get you know a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more uh, feature set out of it.
0: Yeah, and and the convenience of you just you um you get this the uh, mocker object, and you can just um, you don't have to clean up afterwards because it'll clean up after your test.
1: which is good and bad (laughs) i actually uh i'm sometimes a little bit hesitant about using the mocker fixture because the cleanup time is not necessarily well defined it's supposed to be right after the test ends but due to like fixture ordering it might end up being slightly after that um but it's it's one thing to look out for when you're using it but
0: what would you do instead would you um create a um... context manager. Yeah. Context manager. That's it.
1: Yeah. So I'll usually use the context manager protocol with mock directly. Although sometimes I'll like write my own fixture that does that or use a yield fixture or other stuff like that.
0: You would just do the mocking right in the test then.
1: Mm-hmm. Doesn't always scale all that well, but it <laughs> it seems to work well enough for me.
0: Next on our list is something that surprised me that's in here. Uh, it's pytest-runner or pytest-runner. Mm-hmm. Um, this was something that, uh, you needed to do, use if you're going to run PyTest code from your, from your setup.py. So if you, if you say like, um, you know, set it, or, you know, Python setup.py test, and I want, you want that to call your PyTest, you needed this, but, uh, we don't want people to use this anymore, right?
1: Yeah, for the most part, setup tools and, you know, related PyPA projects have been moving people away from Python setup.py thing. Um, You know, setup.py test has been deprecated for almost a year now, maybe a little bit more than a year. And uh, with that deprecation, it made sense for PyTest to also deprecate that approach as well. And most of the reasoning behind that is because it was, you know, very different from how PIP installs things. It involved eggs, all sorts of, like, weird technologies that have mostly gone away. And, uh, you know, encouraging people to use virtual environments and, you know, PIP to install stuff instead.
0: Yeah, I haven't used this for a long time.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised it has, like, (laughs) over 11 million downloads in the last however long, like... That that doesn't surprise me all that much because the deprecation has been relatively recent, and uh, I expect it to to live for quite a while until it's eventually phased out.
0: Uh, okay. So this the next one is pytest instafail. Have you used it? Yes, I've used it a couple times.
1: Um, it's pretty cool when you're working on tests interactively and you have like you know, a whole bunch of failures in a really really long test suite. Uh, it will spit out failures as soon as they happen. So like what I often do, or a workflow that I often do is I'll open one tab of my terminal. I'll run pytest with insta fail. And then as the tests are running, it might spit out a failure and I'll immediately start trying to fix that failure. I won't wait for the full test suite to end. Um, and this has like some slight advantages over vanilla pytest because pytest usually waits until the whole test suite is run to spit out any of the failures.
0: Now, when you say spit out a failure, it is, I mean, PyTest is telling me if I do dash V, for instance, it'll tell me which test it's running Mm -hmm. and whether it passed or failed. Right.
1: But it won't give you like the assertion message or like what stack trace ended up. But InstaFail will show that immediately.
0: Okay, so that makes it so that the uh, stack trace is showing up right away. Mm hmm. Cool.
1: Sometimes I'll instead use dash dash max fail one. So then I'm just like running a test suite until it hits the first failure. Um, But this at least like lets me see all the failures at once and give me that early feedback.
0: Do you really use max fail one?
1: All the time. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Because you don't like typing dash X?
1: uh well i just i can never remember the short options and there's so many of them (laughs) oh okay but then again i can't remember whether it's max max dash fail or max fail one word and so yeah i should probably just learn the short ops uh
0: next one's not not surprising to me um i don't know much about it pytest django it uh but i have talked with uh django people that say this is well it's just the way to go it's uh how you can um easily hook uh, Django testing with, do Django testing with Py, PyTest. So mm-hmm. can't really talk much about it, but cool that it's there. Yeah. Uh, Made the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. PyTest HTML. Uh, I have used this. I love it. I don't, u- I'm not using it right now, but I, I do really like it. Um, It is a project out of Mozilla uh, and it, uh, um it allows you to um, generate an HTML report for your test suite run. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's actually kind of incredible how much stuff you, you can do with this uh, to the point of you can have, um, um, uh, you can have screenshots, even you can have a, have PyTest grab, uh, grab whatever, you know, do a screen grab and throw that Mm -hmm. into your, into your test uh, report. That's pretty neat. And other stuff you can, there's other ways to add uh, data and information to the report. Um, so
1: yeah, I actually hadn't seen this one before, and so I I went and installed it and tried it out, and the reports are actually super useful and and they look pretty good.
0: Yeah, and there's there's one there's an option that that that's a fairly good JavaScript thing where you can you can filter the some of the the results. If you've got a big suite, you can filter the. Just look for the failures, look for the passes, stuff like that. You can look at the time. Um, uh, yeah, it, one of the things that's nice is it does report um, how long it takes, how long things are, the different tests are running. Uh, the On episode 25 of Testing Code, um, I did uh, interview Dave Hunt, and he's one of the, the people on this project. We talked about it a lot. Um, this actually ties really nicely into the next plugin, which is PyTest Metadata, Um, and this, um, I learned about it because I was using, when I was using PyTest HTML, we have stopped using HTML for, uh, oddly enough, but we continue to use metadata because it allows you to add extra data uh, to the output, which is in, you can stick the output in the like your JUnit XML output so mm-hmm. um so that data can be uh seen by uh um your continuous integration server or something. So it's neat. Um we use it also to um we're storing our um our test results into a, an external database of our own design and mm-hmm. a lot of that extra data um is uh is collected like uh, uh which which devices we're to running our tests on and um, you know, what version of the software we're using and things like that can th- get thrown in there so they're easily pulled out. So,
1: yeah, I hadn't actually seen this bug in before, but uh, man, I wish I would have like two and a half years ago. We were, we were setting up a Selenium suite and it would have been very useful for annotating the output. But
0: <laughs> now I know about it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, in default, by default, it throws a few extra uh, a full, like a few versions, a few metadata items i can't remember what they are uh which operating system you're running is one which you know um i'm always using the same operating system so i usually uh remove that uh but um i could see why that'd be important for mozilla um but uh for me uh, we've you can add your own so i we definitely add stuff and you can also it's already built in to have some command line flags so you can you can either add data at runtime or you can add data from the command line uh, as one of the flags. So that's cool.
1: Oh, neat. That's nice.
0: Thank you Springboard for sponsoring this episode. If you want to learn to write machine learning algorithms, want to learn how to build and deploy a deep learning prototype, or want hands-on experience in deploying a machine learning model into production, then check out Springboard's machine learning engineering career track. It's like an online boot camp, but way more project-based learning and you'll work towards creating your own portfolio of machine learning models. You'll be paired with a machine learning expert who provides unlimited one-on-one mentorship support throughout the course. The program was built for software engineers, so to be eligible, you must have at least one year experience coding with an object-oriented language such as Python, C++, or Java. Test Code has partnered with Springboard to exclusively offer 20 scholarships of $500 each to eligible applicants. Keep in mind, scholarships are awarded on a first-come, first-served basis, and you have to use code AISpringboard. Check out if you are eligible by going to springboard.com. Applying is free and only takes 10 minutes. Uh, Next uh, is uh, PyTest AsyncIO. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Not surprising this one's this high up.
0: Yeah. Async is pretty hot. Um, so yeah, actually this kind of tells me that people are actually testing their async code. So that's cool,
1: which is impressive because it's pretty hard to test async code.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So actually the, just because of this plugin exists, I kind of want to, I don't have any async projects right now, but I might be one of those people that artificially goes out and, uh, like creates a reason to use a, use a, uh, a feature and i think uh this is a good reason to try to come up with some async project
1: yeah build something to learn something that's that's always my approach
0: yeah the next one is one of the reasons why i'm glad we're doing this list <laughs> me too <laughs> <laughs> so pytest test split tests um this is has some fairly long winded flags that you have to pass in to make it work. Um uh, mm-hmm. However, what it does is it split. So you've got a long test suite or a test suite with a bunch of, either it's long running or essentially it's just the number of tests. You mm-hmm. got a, l- a bunch of tests and you want to uh run a portion of it. Um w- Yeah. I actually don't know how to do that without like manually I could, uh before I would maybe like run different setup, split them up into directories and run like a directory at a time or something. Mm-hmm. Um but this just like chunks it up. So let's say you got like uh a hundred tests and it or a hundred test cases, it'll it'll do like you can chunk it up to say do ten at a time and and um and in this instance just do the first ten and mm-hmm. run that and then like the second ten or something. Um this would be really great if, uh, like, when, uh, of course we want isolated tests. Um, but sometimes with fixtures and stuff, we kind of have to fudge the isolation a little bit to save time. And mm-hmm. uh, you still get, like, okay, so so one of my tests is mucking up the fixture. So you kind of have to break it up. And that's where I would use this, definitely, is to try to debug a large test suite that um, uh, you, the whole thing fails, but it fails at different times. And yet every time one of them fails and I rerun that test, it passes. This Mm -hmm. would be a good way to help debug that. So for sure.
1: Yeah. The one use case that I saw for this that was that seemed really good is like, uh, for example, GitHub Actions gives you, I think it's 20 parallel workers, which is which is insane. That's such a large number of parallel workers for free CI. Um, But often I'm like struggling like how, how would I use all 20 workers on my, on my workloads? Uh, but this would be like an easy way to take you know, some test suite that you know, has independent tests and you could just you know split them in half or split them in thirds and use as many of those workers as possible.
0: Wow. But, and that would be easy. You could just, you don't even have to like split them up into director or anything. Just
1: it, add the flags and you're good to go. Yeah. Interestingly, I used to work on another test runner called Testify, which is now defunct and and dead and, you know, PyTest lives on. Uh, But in Testify, we had a similar feature to this, but it was it was really, really difficult to get right. And I'm glad that this plugin gets it, you know, spot on for PyTest.
0: Yeah, it's cool. I'm definitely going to start playing with this right away. Okay, I've got mixed feelings about this next one, but About it's, the next one, me yeah. too. <laughs> really? Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the next one is PyTestSugar, Test Sugar, um, which actually we have a few plugins that are similar in nature to Pi Test Sugar. Uh, and we might talk about them later, but like another one is Pi Test Emoji. Um, and what this does, it changes. I don't know. I think Pi Test Emoji is a little bit simpler than Pi Test Sugar. Pi Test Sugar changes a lot of the way that PyTest Test outputs, and in some ways, I think it makes the output a lot better. Uh, it certainly compacts it a lot and gives you better signal on to, like, pass and fail with these nice little check marks and, um, and other little things and little improvements. Um, but it's for me, it's just very jarring coming from the default PyTest output and, like, getting used to the alternate display is a little bit different.
0: Um, what What are your thoughts on it? I personally don't like it. I, and I don't know why I don't like it. So normally, if you just run by default pytest, it'll like do dots for the passes and <laughs> uh, F for failures. And and this one does check marks and X's instead. And the percentage. I mean, it, it used to be more useful than before. So uh, back in the day, um, uh, pytest wouldn't tell, wouldn't give you a percentage of output. And now, mm-hmm. as you're running, as you as you can see the output of the, your different test files running, it'll tell you roughly percentage wise um, how much mon- how much is left. Um, like you've gotten like ten percent done or forty percent done or something. And uh, Pytest Sugar would give you that plus a bar chart. Um,
1: oh yeah, there's the progress bar. I forgot about the progress bar. Yeah,
0: so it kind of did like this progress bar, but it, it sort of looks it just because it it draws it one line at a time. It ends up being sort of like a, um, I don't know. It's like a Christmas tree effect. Yeah, I, mean, I was it, gonna say the same thing. <laughs> it gets bigger, but you don't know where it's gonna end. So, um, without the percentages, it doesn't give you much. But so it's just sort of kind of neat to have. I don't know. I think um,
1: they've improved the progress bar a little bit since last time I tried it, so it doesn't end up with that Christmas tree. But yeah, I I remember when the Christmas tree was there.
0: One of the things I do like about it is just the demonstration that you can muck with the output of uh, PyTest. I think the code for PyTest Emoji is a little, little more clear, but but PyTest Emoji was uh, written as an example for people to learn how to change the output. So the different hmm. goals. Um, I
1: didn't know that about PyTest Emoji, but now I know.
0: Um, PyTest Poo is probably my favorite, but it's deprecated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have you used PyTest Poo?
1: I have not. <laughs>
0: Um, and I think it was just built as a joke, but I'm bummed that it doesn't work anymore. So maybe I'll have to do a, like a pull request. Uh,
1: Yeah, get that working again.
0: Which would just, it just ran like normal, except for all your test failures would do the poo emoji instead. So, um, (laughs) gosh, gotta love that. Next is PyTest Rerun Failures. I gotta admit, we use this.
1: Yeah, we do too.
0: (laughs) So this is uh, for flaky tests. What is one of the things you do right after a test fails in a big suite. You run it by itself to see if the next time you run it, it, it'll pass. It gives you some information. So PyTest Rerun Failures lets you just do that automatically. Any test that fails, it just runs it again. And I think you can do multiple times or give it a limit. We usually just give it one. We want to at least run it one more time to see if maybe just something was weird about the network or something. I think we run it
1: with three. Which is just like a sad admission, but yeah,
0: uh, it's life. We're pragmatists. It's good to just have that data right away.
1: In a, in a pure world, I would rather not use it, but you know, it's it's
0: convenient. And I don't even know if it really saves us time. I think that every time I've used this, it just fails three times in a row anyway. Mm. Instead, so that's uh, actually making our test suite longer. But it, um, at least we know that it's not. Yeah. It wasn't just something weird.
1: Yeah, we applied it to a suite that had know, a couple hundred, you know, 1% failure tests. And so it would sort of
0: pave over those those problems
1: with retries and seem to work well enough to you
0: know, make the suite more reliable. I mean, I think if I remember right, it doesn't completely hide that something failed. Mm-hmm. It somehow tells you, yes, there were reruns and whether or not it passed the second time or not.
1: Yeah, it gives them a special status.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, PyTest-env This is probably one of my
1: favorite plugins and probably the one that I use the most Uh, What does it do? So it's a very very simple plugin I think the plugin is only like 10 lines of code Uh, but it basically takes a configuration file that lists a series of environment variables so things that you would put into os.environ and it just consistently sets them during your test run or unsets them Um, and so if you need like a specific, you know, I want to fake that I'm in the production environment, you'll just con- set a constant, you know, service underscore environment equals production. And then whenever you run your test, that will be automatically set for you. And before I realized that this plugin existed, I was doing a similar thing with tox and the setenv option there. Uh, but the problem with tox's is set env is if you run PyTest outside of tox, then you don't get that. And so you have to remember to set all the same environment variables. Or you set up a manual fixture that, you know, sets them and unsets them by yourself. Uh, But this is just like way better for not having to think about that.
0: That's cool. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. One example. Well, I do a lot of stuff that deals with Git repositories and running Git. And uh, in order to make a commit in Git, you need, I think it's... A minimum of four environment variables coming from a blank system to say like what the user is and what their email is, and so I just have this like nice little copy and paste blob that you know, sets the user to I mean, Anthony Satili and the email to something at example.com, and uh, then I don't really have to worry about using Git inside of my test suite.
0: Wow. Well, okay, that's cool. Nice. Next is Pytest cache.
1: Uh, and fortunately, it's been included into core, so it's no longer uh, no longer needed to be installed separately. But it it allows you to cache some data about the Pytest session, such that you can, you know, uh, look at a previous run or you know, prevent computation of some complex data or stuff like that. Uh, Pytest actually uses this internally for uh, only rerunning the failed tests if you're using dash dash lf uh for the last, failed. last last failed test yeah yeah um and so that's actually implemented using the cache plugin
0: okay that's funny because i actually wrote about using the cache in the pytest book but i forgot that it used to be a plugin
1: because mm-hmm.
0: uh, it's just built in uh, well i mean it's still a plugin it's, it's just shipped with pytest now yeah. right yeah, yeah. um <laughs> a pytest flask is next uh, that is also not surprising i'm guessing it's similar to pytest django and that it helps you test flask stuff Mm -hmm. but um but i don't think i've used it so i'm not really Um, writing a lot of flask so
1: i haven't either and i have written a lot of flask so i'll have to check it out
0: okay using pytest to test your flask
1: yeah usually uh we kind of do two approaches that work for testing flask applications one is to take the views separately and just call them and the other one is to set up the so flask has kind of a fake server where you can you know, run an HTTP request in process and look at
0: the response.
1: Uh, We do both of those approaches at Lyft. I assume PyTest Flask makes it a little bit easier to set that up.
0: Um, PyTest Benchmark is uh, actually pretty cool. Have Mm -hmm. you used it?
1: I used it once, and (laughs) then I decided that I was going to write my own benchmark suite instead. Um, It worked really well for what I was trying to do, but the output was not quite what I wanted. Um, But it's a pretty good tool for just, you know, writing a small amount of code that you want to you know, spin a bunch of times and see how long it takes and, like, compare that against other runs. Uh, it, it makes benchmarking pretty easy if you're trying to benchmark particular test code.
0: I think benchmarking is one of those well, those things. I don't think I've met a developer that hasn't written their own benchmark code. <laughs> um, and with, Oh, my gosh, I'd, I should write a library for this. And maybe I should open source it. That's why there's so many benchmark. <laughs> libs out there uh, it's
1: like usb we're gonna have another one now <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pytest ordering is next
1: mm-hmm. there's actually a couple of plugins that are related to this one uh but this one in particular is about picking well forcing tests to run in specific order if i recall correctly uh there's a couple other Plugins like PyTest randomly, which will uh, intentionally shuffle your tests every time they run to try and expose uh, test pollution. It's like, you know, test A runs before test B and it passes, but if you run on the other order, it will fail. And it, it tries to, like, you know, suss out those
0: uh, those pollutions. Randomly, we do use, because uh, it's definitely good to be able to shuffle those around sometimes. The, one of the warnings I give people is, If you randomize your test suite and there's failures that weren't there before, yes, you have found something that you need to fix, but don't feel terrible about it. It happens to all of us.
1: Yep. (laughs) Global mutable state. It's so easy to happen and it's uh, sometimes hard to fix, but at least you can kind of detect it using these types of plugins.
0: PyTest Watch, I absolutely love. It's great. This one just, it just watches all your tests and stuff. And if you change Mm -hmm. anything, it just reruns stuff.
1: Yep. it's especially good if you have like a very very fast test suite, so you can get that feedback almost instantly.
0: I was using this uh, con- almost constantly when I was writing the Pytest book. The next one we're going to cover is Pytest Python Path, and
1: uh... <laughs> this one just like raised my blood pressure. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was curious what your thoughts on this are.
1: Um, so I know I myself have had to fiddle with python path and test a few times and uh i always hate to admit it because like you, you kind of need to
0: sometimes but like
1: <sighs> i mean it, it it also doesn't surprise me how popular this plugin is
0: <laughs> so by, by, to, if people aren't familiar with what it is if you run python dash m pytest to run your tests One Mm -hmm. of the things you get for that is Python will add the current directory that you're in to the Python path so that all the modules in this directory are findable. This is important for your tests. So if the tests include a module, should they come from here or not? Mm -hmm. One of the problems with that is if you're trying to write a a package and test a package, uh, you want to be able to test the installed package, not the... The, your current code. So there is some issues with that. I think that's one of the reasons why PyTest chose to not include the current directory in the Python path. But mm-hmm. if you run PyTest by itself, it does not include the current directory. I actually like that feature. It annoys some people. pytest path that plugin, it does a couple of things. One of the things it does, and this is the advertised thing that it does, the advertised thing it does is it allows you in your PyTest any file to define uh directories that are should be included in your Python path. The other side effect, which I don't think it was documented last time I checked, was it adds the current directory to the Python path also.
1: Mm, oops. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess this is why the the source layout of Python packages is so popular, because uh, the the empty string current directory path, you know, addition side effect is a super common pitfall, and you know, pretty easy to upload a broken package if you're testing in a way that uh, doesn't reflect how your package would be installed.
0: Yeah. So one of the the other way I've dealt with that also is in like tox allows you to set a a working directory. Mm-hmm. um So I just make sure that I set talks to be in the test directory. Mm-hmm. um So I'm not in the parent of the test directory when I start, and so at at that point you can't see. Even if you were to run Python, right, you'd miss that mistake.
1: Right, I believe the setting is is changed er, but yeah,
0: I've used that as well. We're gonna do a couple more, and then we might jump around. Pytest Flake Eight. This allows you to just run Flake8 against your tests. I don't remember if it runs against your code also.
1: Yeah, it runs against your code also. I'm so I, I'm really confused why. I don't know, there's a bunch of plugins like this in this list. I'm really confused why this is so popular. Uh, I guess I get like you want to run one command and then you're done. You don't want to have to run pytest and then run Flake8 and then run you know whatever other tool you have. Uh, it just seems really, really weird to me to mix up linting and testing into the same bucket. In the same way that like pytest benchmark also rubs me a little bit the wrong way because it seems a little bit weird to mix benchmarking and testing at the same time. But at least with that one, I can kind of see some tests that could double as benchmarks. But this one, I just, I just don't really get it. <laughs> Have yeah. you used this plugin?
0: Um, I'm actually thinking about it and the. So we'll just go ahead and I'm going to look it at the, down the list. We've got pytest flake8 and pep8 and pylint and what else? Uh, My um mypy uh, I think that's it here yeah. so far. That are like these linting things.
1: There is also pytest black that I've seen as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, that one's a that would be surprising cuz black changes your code. Um, I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to change my code while I'm running. Maybe it doesn't. I mean, Black has an option to not.
1: Yeah, uh, it uses check mode, I think, yeah. if I remember right.
0: Okay. Well, we have some linting at work for our tests, and and I'd like to have more going on so that some of the things that we're spending time during code review shouldn't be spent in code review. We should have linters to check this stuff for us.
1: Of course. we have We have computers that are very good at nitpicking.
0: Yes, but it is not part of everybody in my uh, immediate work group's normal workflow to run anything other than just running PyTest. Mm. Um, But if we had our test suite that everybody's working on, if some of these things like Flake 8 were already built in, then um, they would know they have to fix it because while you're coding, you'd see, oh, my test failed because of the Flake problem or something.
1: Mm -hmm. But that might annoy people too.
0: (laughs) Uh, Definitely will annoy people. (laughs) Okay, so when do you want to annoy people? Uh because you can either annoy people while they're running their tests or you can annoy people like while they're trying to check in their code. Mm-hmm. Um because a lot of people do run these sort of things with uh like commit hooks. Mm-hmm. Do you run flake8 or anything like that?
1: I mean, I'm obviously biased because uh I'm i uh, <laughs> I'm I'm an author of a git hooks framework, so that's usually when I try and run them. Uh but yeah, I use flake 8. Uh, I guess I'm also the current maintainer of flake 8, so I'm a little bit biased there as well. Uh, but yeah, I use flake 8 on all my projects. I use a couple of other linters and code formatters as well. And, uh, you know, try and try and hand wave away these sorts of, you know, nitpick conversations during code review so that people can focus their time on
0: architectural changes and stuff like that. The Git thing is pre-commit, right? Yep. Do you have everybody on your team running pre-commit then? Yeah, so we actually
1: introduced this recently at Lyft. And I think we have somewhere around 600 repositories that have adopted this as their linting framework. And it makes it really easy for uh, developers to quickly get feedback about their code changes uh, before they hit CI. Uh, we also run it in CI to make sure that like, you know, we're still validating everything is correct and still catching bugs before production.
0: OK. Do you feel like it's better to have that catch after you thought you're done with your changes and you're trying to check them in? Is that the right time to be doing that or
1: um I don't know. I think I think my opinions on the subject is I like to have this information as early as possible and uh, you know as often as possible until I finally get to the change set. And so things like editor integration or you know, get hooks are a good way to get early feedback obviously you're not going to get it like at test time like you would with this plugin um but like i, I think think like as early as possible is is good
0: okay so let's say i have a like a failure um and i have it on a pre-commit hook um uh will it just not allow me to check stuff in then or commit it um, so by default, it will kick you out of that commit and have you change it before you commit it.
1: However, there's other modes where you can like temporarily skip something or you can skip the whole set of checks entirely.
0: Okay. So like, let's say I'm, I'm working on my own branch and I just want to make sure that I've committed stuff before I go home or for the weekend. And I, mm-hmm. okay, I see there's failures, but I want to push it in, or not push it, but commit it to my branch anyway. You mm-hmm. can, there's ways to get around it then at least. Yep.
1: Yeah, Git has the built-in dash dash no verify. And in the the framework called pre-commit, there's a skip option, which allows you to skip individual hooks.
0: Okay, cool. All right. Now we're kind of running long. In the list coming up, there's a randomly and repeat. Mm -hmm. Sort of already covered randomly. It's a good thing to use. What does repeat do? Uh,
1: Repeat's a really good one. I use this one a lot when... uh, So actually, I'm... (laughs) I'm working on my own text editor right now, which is a whole different story. Uh, but I have a test suite for it that actually spins up the text editor, interacts with it, and then like runs a sort of Selenium-style test against it. And some of those tests end up being a little bit flaky, and Pytest Repeat has been really useful for finding those tests and then like you know run them a hundred times in a row and check if they still fail after I've quote unquote fixed the flake. Um, but pytest repeat, yeah, it's it's it basically does one thing. It allows you to repeat tests a bunch of times.
0: Okay. So the the rerun failures only reruns the failed ones until it passes. But this one uh, would just sort of run the same one whether it passed or failed, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The way it works is it it sets a parameterized decorator on every test that just has an integer that goes from some number to some other number, and so any test you would have just gets repeated that number of times.
0: Okay. Cool. Now, in the rest of our list, is there anything you wanted to cover that we haven't?
1: Um, hmm, there's one other one that I think is really cool. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, it's it's really cool if you're working on Selenium tests, which is PyTest Selenium. Um, but I think that's the only other one I had from this list. Oh, I guess Freeze Gun, that one's good, too.
0: So Freeze Gun like, fixes the time, right?
1: yeah it lets you have specific fixtures that will set the time and date to a particular point in time so that you can test particularly gnarly scenarios uh like we use this to do <laughs> the old the day old problem of daylight savings time and you know leap second bugs uh you can actually set the time to those particular frames and see how your code reacts to them
0: yeah and plus it's got a great name freeze gun freeze gun yeah. I think that's a lot of stuff that we've covered. I don't remember. I wasn't keeping track of how many. The top end. <laughs> the top end PyTest plugins. I would love feedback from other people. I'd like to hear which plugins are your favorite, which ones you, are good things that maybe we should pass around, pass along, things that you're surprised are not on the list because you, you love them so much. Uh, maybe other people need to hear about them too, so let us know. Thanks so much for covering these with me, Anthony.
1: Yeah, happy to be on.
0: Thank you, Anthony. And thank you, Patreon supporters for continuing to support the show. Join them by going to testandcode.com support. Thank you to Oxylabs and Springboard for sponsoring this episode. Check them out with the links on the show notes at testandcode.com. The show notes also have the complete list of the 28 plugins we covered. So you'll definitely want to check that out. That's all for now. Now go out and test something or maybe try a new plugin to supercharge your testing.